to this week's edition for the Wise Up Podcast. This is your host, Ezra Siddiqui. As a reminder, Wise Up is my platform to educate the South Asian and Muslim communities about Texas and national politics. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at WiseUpTX, or you can check out our website, www.wiseuptx.com. Remember, everyone, get educated, get wiser, and let's start giving a hoot. All right, folks, we have a special interview with uh, Chairman Raphael Anchia. He is a Texas House representative. Um, he will be discussing what has happened with the Sanctuary Cities bill that passed in the regular session and kind of what we intend to look forward in the special session. Um, you may be wondering, wait, what's going on with regular session and special session? So in the Texas legislature, um, they meet in the Capitol in Austin. A special session is the convening of the legislature outside of a regular session, which runs for 140 days every odd numbered year. So they had met this past in January of 2017 up until end of May. And then a special session are like the overtime period in a game. So when issues important to the governor aren't resolved by the end of the regular session, he or she can summon lawmakers back to Austin. Special sessions are mandatory only when lawmakers fail to send a budget to the governor. All other issues can be assigned to a special session at the governor's discretion. And so for this special session, uh, Governor Greg Abbott wants the lawmakers to tackle 20 topics, some of, some of which proved contentious during the regular session. Um, some of the contentious issues are public bathrooms trans transgender people can use, uh, allowing special needs students to use state money for private school tuition, limit property tax increases, and void local ordinances restricting tree removal and driving while talking on a cell phone. So those are some of the topics that will be covered. Uh, don't worry if you're following us on social media, Wise Up will continuously be posting about what's happening in special session. But right now, uh, let's move on to our interview with Chairman Rafael Chia. And just a little bit about him, Rafael Anchia is currently serving his seventh term in the Texas legislature and represents a western corridor of Dallas County, including parts of Dallas, Farmers Branch, and Irving. Before serving in the Texas House, he was twice elected to serve as a trustee for Dallas ISD. For the past three legislative sessions, Representative Anchia has been named chair of the International Trade and Intergovernmental Affairs Committee. From 2011 to 2015, he served President Barack Obama as an appointee to the Advisory Committee for Trade Policy and Negotiations, which advises the White House and U.S. Trade Representatives on trade and investment agreements. Most recently, he was elected by his peers as chair of the Mexican-American Legislative Caucus, the oldest and largest Latino caucus in the United States. Well, Chairman Angie, I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. For our listeners to hear about what SB4, which was passed this past legislative regular session, um, what it was about, what's it entailing, and how is it really going to impact not only the Latino community in Texas, but also how it could potentially impact the South Asian and Muslim community. So first of all, it's great to be here, and thank you for, for having me and, uh, and allowing me to interview with you. Oh, thank you for joining us. So what exactly was SB4 about? It's a Senate bill, correct? Right, so, so, so SB4, there's a difference between how it was sold and what was actually in the bill, right? Essentially the governor declared um, this quote-unquote sanctuary cities, these sanctuary cities an emergency item. And it was basically an effort to legislate 
uh, immigration law at the state level. And what the governor was saying was that, hey, all these sheriffs and, uh, and police chiefs are being too easy on, uh, on immigrants and undocumented immigrants, and they're letting them out of jail, and because they're letting them out of jail, they're gonna come kill you, right? Okay. That was the narrative that, that he, he tried to sell um, on the House floor during his State of the State speech, and he, and he used Mexican immigrants uh, as his kind of uh, um, exhibit A to sell the, the proposition. The reality is, is really different, right? Our, uh, our sheriffs, our police chiefs uh -huh. work very, very hard to keep us safe. They are held accountable by the voters. They are held accountable by their city councils. And the last thing they want to do is to let people out of jail that, allow, right. that, that then go out and harm people. It's not in their interest. But the governor tried to create this narrative that in fact that was happening. Uh, and, and that the jailers were not cooperating with ICE, which is our Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. So that's federal, right? That's federal, okay. right. They, he, he said he, he was saying that that our, our um, local sheriffs and police chiefs were were intentionally not cooperating with federal authorities to enforce immigration law that was that was the thing the reality is is really different okay. um, uh, in fact when the Texas Tribune which is a well-respected media publication did did the study they found that 99.78 percent of the time um, ICE uh, detainer requests, mm -hmm. you know, they're simply requests, they're not mandatory, but ICE detainer requests were complied with by local authorities. 99.78, oh, wow. yeah, so, so there were like 66,300 cases of the requests being made by the federal government and only 146 in a 21 month period were not complied with. So what might be the reasons to not comply with an ICE detainer request? It might be that you have a US citizen in custody right. and there's a, a false name match. There could be a coding problem where the, the request that's made by the federal government doesn't match up with the person that you have in, in custody at all. It might be that you don't want to turn this person over to the federal government because you want them to sit and stand trial in your local community, right? You, right. Your district attorney has said, no, don't turn them over to anybody else. We want to keep them in our jail and hold them for trial. So there, there are a number of any number of good reasons why that would happen, but the reality is that the governor wanted to use immigrants kind of as this this boogeyman, and uh, as, as you suggested earlier, it doesn't only impact Latino immigrants, it also impacts uh, South Asian immigrants, Muslim immigrants, and he wanted to use them as this boogeyman to score political points. Because even on the House floor, the author of the bill admitted that ICE has access to jails in all 254 Texas counties. Oh, really? Absolutely. He admitted on the House floor when, 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 uh, when he was questioned about it, when he laid out the bill. And so the reality was, uh, Texas was already complying with the law. We had the uh, former director of ICE under the mm -hmm. Obama administration, Sara Saldana, who's from Dallas. She came down to talk to members of the legislature about the fact that, hey, if, any, if anybody is a problem, it's, it's not Texas. Like other states you know, fail to comply right. with ICE detainer requests at much higher percentages. It's really kind of a rounding error of a rounding error here in the state of Texas. But so fast forward to when we debated the bill. The House version of the bill said, if you are arrested, um, the, that locals shall uh, comply with ICE detainer requests. 
Even though, by the way, those ICE detainer requests don't comply with constitutional standards, right? An ICE detainer request simply is uh, a request. It's not mandatory by the federal government. It is simply a request that says, um, we believe that the person you have in custody is not lawfully present in the United States. Either they entered on, a, on, on an unauthorized okay. basis or they've overstayed a visa request uh, or a visa right. or something like that. There's some issue with lawful pres uh, presence. But it only says that we are beginning an investigation on this. We, th that doesn't we, mean de deportation, right? No, it doesn't mean, okay. and, and we don't know for sure whether or not the person that is in your, in your custody is not lawfully present. Uh, we simply believe so, but we're not sure, and we're gonna investigate that. And so it doesn't comply with Fifth Amendment due process or anything okay. like that. And in fact, a San Antonio federal court judge has recently uh, ruled that ICE detainer requests are unconstitutional because they don't comply with the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments, oh, right? Interesting. And so making them mandatory is a problem. Now that's up on appeal, and we'll see where yeah. where it goes. But there are certainly constitutional problems. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a question just to back up. Um, when you're talking about sanctuary cities, like that was one of the prime reasons why Governor Abbott wanted to basically outlaw them, right? So what exactly is a sanctuary city? Because that really plays a huge role into the ICE detainers, am I correct? Yeah, so you know, there's no formal definition of a sanctuary city. It's nowhere in, in federal in law, code, right? it's nowhere in code. So this is something that was dreamed up probably by a, a political consultant somewhere. Um, but I, I think the way the governor might talk about it, or, or did talk about it, was that if your if if your uh, local police chiefs or uh, sheriffs were not complying 100% of time with uh, of the time with ICE detainers, they were quote unquote a sanctuary city. Or if they maintained a policy that a local policing policy that in order to uh, work closely with the immigrant community, they weren't going to ask for um, citizenship status or, right. or lawful uh, presence, that too would make you a sanctuary city. And now, you know, we had every major police chief and sheriff in the state come and say, look, if you make us ask for citizenship status uh, or lawful presence, it's really going to hurt our community policing and make us all less safe because immigrant communities are already skeptical of police, right. right? And what we're trying to do is is get the community more comfortable with us, let them know that we are not a threat to them but are here to protect them, and we want a collaborative relationship with the immigrant communities because it, we want our immigrant communities to work with us, whether it be on you know, uh, turning in the bad guys right. in their community, reporting crimes, uh, reporting domestic abuse or child abuse, right? Yeah. All those things, we, we want open lines of communication. But the governor said, no, we want people to ask specifically, you know, about, about, about citizenship status. And, and if, you're a, uh, if you're a police department, you can't have a policy prohibiting, a policy or practice. Interesting. And all the police chiefs from all the big cities came to testify against this bill, am I correct? Overwhelmingly. Overwhelmingly. And not only just to say, hey, you know, you should trust us to do local community policing. Right. Uh, but also that this is going to make us less safe because people are going to go further into the shadows and they're not going to report crimes. And in fact, didn't this similar, like a really tragic situation just occur about a... Hispanic gentleman being shot, right, and he was trying to stop a robbery, and the teenage um, 
I guess, suspects stated that they did target Hispanics because they knew they wouldn't call the cops. Am I correct? Yeah, that's it's exactly right. And in fact, they st said specifically that they wanted to target immigrant communities because they'll they'll never they'll, they'll never call nine one one. And they have a lot of cash on them because they often are underbanked or unbanked, right? And so uh, you know, there's a colloquial term that uh, the state representative from that area. Uh, said he's heard reg regularly, and it's a term called rolling immigrants or rolling Mexicans uh, that sometimes perpetrators will use uh, in slang, and, and that really means that, hey, immigrants are easy targets. They've got a lot of cash on them, and they'll never call the cops. Well, SB4 makes it worse, makes them bigger targets. Oh, wow. That's terrible. That's terrible. So let's pivot back to the debate on the House floor. It it pretty much flew through the Senate, on the Senate side. Now we get to the House floor, and it seemed to be it was a stripped-down version of what the Senate had initially offered, right? That's right. And then what happened? Well, the bill that came to the floor uh, was only supposed to apply to people once they were arrested, okay? Okay. And there are still problems with that, and I've, I've discussed those already, but, but it is certainly less bad than a papers please bill. Mm -hmm. So then uh, there was a Freedom Caucus member, and these are the same guys who, you know, like to promote... Uh, fantasies about Sharia law being used yeah. in our local community. It's the Freedom Caucus. Well, the Freedom Caucus member from uh, from Tyler, uh, his name is Matt Schaefer, he carried an amendment to make the House bill more like the Senate bill, which is to say it wouldn't apply just during uh, arrest, but it could apply at any time. And we all know, and, and, and as a lawyer I know, that detention has nothing to do with arrest. Detention is as simple as going up to somebody on the street and saying that there was reasonable suspicion and you just stop them and ask them for uh, lawful permanent residence or lawful, lawful presence in the United States. So who's that gonna fall on, right? It's gonna fall on people who are brown, it's gonna fall on people who dress maybe like they're foreigner, foreigners, it's gonna uh, fall on people who don't speak the Queen's English or don't speak English right. at all. And people like my father, right, who's, a, who's, who's darker and speaks with a very, very thick accent. That's the kind of person who's gonna get asked about uh, lawful status. And it can happen at a traffic stop, right? Like you could be at a doesn't even need to uh, be at a traffic stop. Really? You know, yeah, there's a case called Ohio v. Terry that's been on the books for a long time, and that authorizes a thing called a Terry stop. And a Terry stop is something as simple as a, as a police officer walking up to you on the street and saying, hey, I want to talk to you. Oh, wow. That is a, detain is a detention. And at that point, they can ask you for your immigration status? Precisely. So, so when people say, oh, there's nothing to worry about, it's only when you know, you're arrested, not true. That's how the bill was originally filed in the House. How it, how it ultimately passed through this um, Schaefer Amendment, this right. Matt Schaefer, member of the Freedom Caucus, put an amendment on says, hey, it applies now at any time that you interact with a police uh, officer, including a Terry stop, which is as simple as, hey, come here, I want to talk to you. And that, that's, that's really yeah. frightening. That is incredibly frightening. I'm not going to lie, when I was watching the debate on my own, when I saw that amendment being passed, I was absolutely floored. I was absolutely shocked because I was born and raised in Texas, and that's not the Texas I know. Well, in a state that's 40% Hispanic and, in, and now, along with the African-American and Asian communities, is minority-majority, right. uh, 
to suddenly say that we don't trust our local police to engage in local policing and keep us safe, and instead we need a state law that prescribes um, the fact that, that you can ask for lawful status, that's very, in my view, very, very dangerous. And, you know, and, and the proponents of the bill will say, oh, well, we have a provision in there that, um, that, they'll, that there won't be any racial profiling. Well, we know that that's not always true. That doesn't always happen. Ask an, ask ask a member of the South Asian community. You know whether <laughs> whether they've ever been profiled or members of the Hispanic community, the African American community. I mean, it is a very real concern. And just having a couple words on, on a page that 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 shouldn't happen with no tracking mechanism. By the way, they, oh they, really? Yeah, they rejected all of uh, all of our attempts to try to mitigate racial profiling through tracking of these stops. Um, they rejected all of that, so there's nothing in there on the bill uh, like that. So I guess that's why a lot of people are upset, you know? And that's why it's being challenged in court by this historic coalition of uh, counties and cities around the state that, uh, on constitutional grounds mainly, right? There are First Amendment problems with right. it, uh, Fifth and Fourteenth Amendment, and Fourth Amendment uh, search and seizure issues. So is that how, you know, the Texas Democrats intend to go forward through lawsuits? Um, I've seen that there's been a lot of demonstrations here at the Capitol. What are some other ways you all intend to kind of thwart this legislation. So there are a number of repeal bills that are going to be filed during the special session now. Okay. You know, whether whether our South Texas Speaker of the House uh, actually <laughs> actually allows them to come to the floor is a different matter, um, but uh, or, or whether the governor would sign them, and I suspect he wouldn't. He has taken great pleasure in, uh, in signing this bill. And he even signed it on Facebook Live, right? He signed it on a Sunday when most immigrants, you know, are spending time with family or in places of worship, and he did it behind closed, door, closed doors outside of a view of media using using social media that right. many many immigrants are not on, especially older immigrants, and uh, and then bragged bragged that he had his signing pen warming up to uh, to gleefully sign this bill, and it, it really is a it, it's a dark moment in Texas history and it's a stain on the entire state. So we're going to be fighting it in the, in, in the legislature. I suspect the governor uh, will protect what, what he considers his legislative accomplishment. And then uh, we're also going to fight it in the courts. So we're going to win at some point, uh, in my view. I, I, I just think this is so beyond the pale and patently. You think it's going to be a long drawn out battle? But I do think it is going to be a long drawn out battle that may even go to the, the U.S. Supreme Court. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's that's pretty crazy. Well, the uh, the a similar Arizona law uh, right. went all the way to the Supreme Court. And it was struck Supreme down, Court. am I correct? Yeah, major parts of it were struck down. Yeah, okay. the most important parts. So there is hope. There is hope. And ultimately, after it was struck down, the Arizona legislature came back to repeal it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, think there's, I think there's hope. And, uh, I, you know, I, I just think that we have to raise consciousness on this issue, like you're doing through your, through your radio show, your podcast. Um, and uh, members of the legislature need to, you know, keep talking about it. Like I, I represent part of Irving that has, I believe, the largest mosque in the state of Texas, mm -hmm. and, and I represent Farmers Branch as well, right? And I, I know a lot of um, uh, people in Farmers Branch go to Omar Suleiman's uh, mosque right. as well. So there's a huge South Asian community, huge Muslim community in and around the districts I represent, and. Uh, we need to raise consciousness as well uh, in, in that community because most the, definitely this, because it's going to impact them. Absolutely, absolutely, and this and this goes into effect on September, September one. 
so unless we're uh, able to successfully stop this in the courts, it's going to happen. But I mean, this should raise this should raise alarm bells, just like you know Donald Trump's Muslim ban or anything else that Im impacts uh, immigrant communities. This this should be front row and center. Because I mean, people will look at our skin tones, right? And a lot of people have a tough time differentiating, even for myself, if I'm Hispanic or Indian or Pakistani, right? And it's not going to stop maybe a police officer who, you know, may inadvertently racially profile someone and ask me this about my immigration status, right? Exactly, exactly. So it can have a profound impact on the South Asian Muslim community. Especially if people dress in traditional dress, uh -huh. if people speak more than one language or, or don't have English language fluency, uh, or, and I think skin color will have something to do with it. You know, also religious observances. All those things are, are indicators that might cause law enforcement to ask, act, or ask for um, lawful status. And, and we just need to be very, very vigilant. So what can we do? Like what can the South Asian Muslim community do right now? Well, so, uh, you know, one of the things they can do is start writing their, their, their members of the House and the Senate. South the Asian, Texas House. I'm right? sorry. Yeah, the Texas House and the okay. and Senate and saying that you're against SB4. I mean, the more that uh, uh, our representatives and senators hear about this, the better. Uh, the other thing is you, you have to start doing know your rights uh, uh -huh. uh, seminars in your mosques, in, in, uh, in, in places of worship where there's a great deal of trust uh, with, with local police departments, right? Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, that's local, local police departments in Dallas, our local police department is doing kind of a know your rights SB4 informational session for folks, and that's something that you can request, right? You can ask law enforcement to come and talk about how interactions should be occurring with law enforcement in light of SB4. Alright, so essentially we need to get to know our rights and we need to, you know, talk to our representatives, which is something I emphasize in literally every segment. And I definitely agree with you on that. That is the only way that we're really going to get our voices heard. And an attack on one immigrant community is an attack on all of us. Yeah, absolutely. And look, it's time. There are young, telegenic, bright, uh, uh, bicultural uh, South Asians that need to run for office. Yeah. Right? I mean, seriously. That yeah, it, it's true. It's time. We don't have any Muslims in, in the House of Representatives, as far as I, I, I can tell. Certainly none that practice openly. And, uh -huh. uh, and I, think, I think it's about time. And there are opportunities in places like, you know, Coppell and Carrollton and, and um, Irving. Plano, Frisco. Plano, Frisco, yeah, for yeah. South Asians. And, I, and I'm not saying that, they, you know, they have to be from one party or another but just people that are ready to get involved and run for office. It's a scary thing. I've done it. it. <laughs> I've done it a number of different times and have been running for the last 15 years. Um, and it, it, you know, it always gives one pause. And I remember before the first time I ran, I was petrified because uh, I'm the son of immigrants and it was just something that we did not do. Right. We did not do politics in my immigrant community. Right. right? And, uh, and, and now uh, that I, I, I'm into it, 15 years into it, uh, I really am trying to encourage a lot of young people from immigrant communities, from diverse backgrounds, diverse worldviews, to, to resist. Yeah. Re resist through their vote and resist through action in running for office. That's a great idea. I hope some of our young listeners will take heed and think about running for office. I hope so too. Alright, so thank you so much for talking to us about SB4 and the Sanctuary Cities Bill.
Alright everyone, I hope you found this interview to be incredibly enlightening. Of course, thank you. Thank you so much to Chairman Raphael and Chia for um, allowing my listeners to wise up on this very contentious legislation that passed in the regular session uh, that is not only going to impact the Hispanic community, but will most definitely impact the South Asian and Muslim communities of Texas as well. So I hope you all, um, you know, got a better idea of what that legislation was about. Uh, it does go into effect September 1st of this year, and I hope you all will heed his advice about how we need to be more vocal and make sure that our voices are heard because it is not only going to impact one immigrant community, it is going to impact all of Texas. And so the things that we can do is we can write and call to our state legislators in Texas. You each have a House rep and a senator, so it's important to call them and contact them. Uh, not only that, but we can sit there and make sure that our voices are heard. We can start to run for office. I know this past November we had several South Asians running for city council, which was amazing. And unfortunately, not as many um, won the election, but that doesn't mean we give up. It takes time. And I'm sure as 2018 comes around, we will have even more people running. So if you've been considering about running or on the fence, I highly, highly encourage you all to um, go forward and run for office because it's true there are not many South Asians that have a political post in Texas and it's something that we need to start doing and we need to make sure that our community is represented in Texas and on the federal level of course. So I hope you all enjoyed the interview and I hope you all will be excited to listen to next week's interview because uh, Chairman Anchia will also be on air and we'll be talking about public education in Texas, um, how that legislation has been going in the regular session, how it intends to go forward in the special session perhaps. Uh, you know public education is a huge, huge, important policy issue for South Asians. It is the primary reason why many South Asians um, immigrate to America is for a better education for themselves and for their children. So it's very, very important for us to know what's been going on in the state legislature with regards to public education because that is what is going to impact you and your children on a day-to-day -day basis more so than what's happening on the federal level. So please stay tuned for next week's segment as well as it will be a continuation of this interview. I hope you all learned a lot and remember everyone, get educated, get wiser, and let's start giving a hoot. Until next time.